Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in the presence of the Lord. We ask you, Jesus, to bless your word to our hearts and lives here this morning. Touch us with a touch from heaven, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Shake hands with the one next to you. Amen. If you've got one next to you, one sister here, I know you don't. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. The Lord bless you. We're happy for all of you that are here. And you are a wonderful class to teach. And uh, I've said it before, but I am fully aware that many of you are very knowledgeable in the Word of God. And uh, it's a challenge to me to always be teaching and speaking on things that will uh, interest you because many of you are Bible students in your own right. And so I appreciate the fact that I have the privilege to teach. Amen. God bless you. Uh, we're going to get into the book of Revelation in a few moments here, and we're going into the seventh chapter. But before I do, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about why things are the way they are. We're, we've been talking about that, uh, the way things are developing, and these are all signs that it's time for the Lord to come. Jesus is coming soon. Uh, I ran into a guy in a restaurant last night. My wife and I were out eat, eating dinner. And uh, we ran into this fellow that used to be in this church. He's a backslider. And he came over and talked to us for a few minutes and everything about his life, what's going on in his life. And I said to him, I said, hey, I want to see you back in church. I said, it's getting close. I said, the Lord's coming. You know that. The Lord's coming is soon. He said, I know it. I know it, Brother Myers. He said, I, uh, I'm aware of it. He said, I've been talking to some other people about it and a lot of people are talking they're saying something's going to going to happen something's coming and so folks i'm just telling you that the world is seeing this and they're knowing this and they're acknowledging this and there's a lot of things that are developing that are letting us know it's time for the lord to come back soon now i'm going to read a verse of scripture and this is uh this is found in matthew it's found also in mark also in luke uh, these four, three Gospels carry the, the words of Christ when he prophesied about the things that would happen in the last days. They all prophesied and carried the same teachings that Jesus gave. This is taken from Matthew 24, 7 and verse 8, 7 and 8, if you'd like to look at that with us. And uh, I trust that our people upstairs uh, have got, I know this, was, this one here is synchronized differently, and I'll be showing you some overheads in just a moment. But uh, if you look, give us that scripture, here it is. Look at this verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, I read this to you last week in our Bible study, uh, along with the, some of the other scriptures in Luke and, and Mark as well. And only to tell you that these are things that we are seeing today that are happening. What I want to do is to go a little bit further here today and talk to you about why things are the way they are uh, that surround us. And I want you to go for a moment to the book of Daniel. Now, I want to go to Daniel because Daniel has a very interesting statement that he makes. And uh, I'm going to show you here and give you some understanding of this verse of Scripture. 
A lot of people do not understand this verse. I'm going to give you understanding on it and show you how you can know what it means without ever guessing at it. Uh, I'm going to show this picture up here. Uh, this is Daniel's. Let me see if I can get it focused in here right. Hang on a second. All right, this is called Daniel's image. And this is found in the second chapter of the book of Daniel. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here because I've taught on this before. Most of you are well familiar with it, and I'm aware of that. But uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream shortly after Daniel was captured and taken to Babylon. He had a dream, and he dreamed that he saw this terrible image. And whenever he tried to get the wise men to give the interpretation, they said, how can we know unless we know the dream? He says, if you tell me the dream, I know you'll have the interpretation. And if you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to have all of you killed. You know, you don't know anything. Why, do I, why am I paying you to hang around and tell me what uh, I'm supposed to know and be wise men among me? Well, Daniel had just come into the fold. He's a young man, about, about 17 years old. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three <laughs> Hebrew children, as they were called. They were children of, of Israel, but they were not children in, as such. They were teenagers. And uh, so Daniel uh, and these three other three young men, they began to pray, and God gave Daniel the, the, the vision and also the interpretation of it. So he went before the king and said, I got the interpretation. I'll tell you what you dream. I'll tell you what it means. And so what he did, he said, you saw an image. I'm just showing the top part of it right now. You saw an image, and then he says it was dreadful and terrible and so forth. It had a head of gold, a chest of silver. It had thighs of brass, and it had legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. Okay, then he gave him the interpretation. Now, very quickly, he says that, head of gold is, is Babylon. That's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Thou art the head of gold. Then he goes on to say, after your kingdom, and this was all because Nebuchadnezzar had been wondering what's going to happen after my kingdom leaves that I die and I go on. What's going to happen in the world? So the Lord gave him this dream and Daniel's given him now the interpretation of the media Persian empire. He said, we'll follow after that. Pardon me while I get an automatic focus here. The media Persian Empire will follow after that. And then following the media Persian Empire will be the Grecian Empire. And all this is history now. Of course, Alexander the Great led the Grecians to conquer the media Persians. And then the Greeks ruled and reigned for a while. And then he says following that will be a fourth kingdom that will rise to power. And it, the, legs, the legs of iron. This is gold, silver, brass. Notice here the decreased quality of metal, metal that this image was. And he says, the legs shall be of iron and the feet of iron and clay. I have a reason for telling you all of this and showing this. Now look in Daniel chapter 2. This is, where, uh, this is where Daniel is giving the interpretation to this image a vision, and he gets down to the last kingdom here, which was the Roman Empire. This, you had the Babylonians, the media Persian, the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire came into effect. Here's what he says here in verse 40. I'm going to begin reading here. He says, In the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. 
In other words, it's going to be a very powerful and vicious empire. And then he says in verse 41, look at this very closely. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, that's down here at the end now. Everybody see my pen? Down here at the feet and the toes. He says, whereas thou saw the feet and the toes part of, of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. Okay, miry clay is, uh, is what we like pottery. Pottery is clay, okay, and it's, and it's heated and it's made very strong and so forth, comparatively, but not as strong as iron. And then finally, look at verse 43. Here's where I'm going, and here's where I want you to look at very closely with you. I'm going to give you an understanding of this verse. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Now look at that middle part of that verse again. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another. This is a statement that is misunderstood by a lot of Bible readers. There's even those who think that this has reference to angels coming down and mixing with uh, humans and marrying and stuff like that and then having sort of, uh, I don't know, some wild kids or something. I don't know why they figured it out. Anyhow, there's no, the Bible says, Jesus said the angels neither married nor are given in marriage. So forget all of that. And that's, that has nothing to do with it. And it says that they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall, I'm going to give you an understanding of it here. And the simple understanding is to reverse the phrase. Uh, this, of course, is, is brought to us out of other languages. Uh, in the English language, if I understand it right, the nominative noun always precedes a verb and followed by the objective noun. Uh, in a lot of languages, the verb will precede the nominative noun and so forth. Uh, that's what happens here. Now, let me reverse that to you a little bit here. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Reverse that and say the seed of men shall mingle themselves. You understand what I'm saying here? If we were to do it sort of in our, our way of English, the, the seed of men shall mingle themselves with themselves. In other words, mankind is going to mingle. And the word mingle comes from a Hebrew word called Arab, A-R-A-B. That's where the Arab, the word Arabs that we know of, that's been handed down to us, comes from. It is a mingled people. It means a people of all different nationalities, uh, people of different languages, people of different cultures. They all mix together. So what he is saying here is that in the very end of this period of time, and this is called the time of the Gentiles, when it, at the end of this period of time, when it comes time for the Lord to say it's all over with for the Gentiles and their empires on this earth, and the Lord's going to establish his own empire, whenever it comes time for that, he is saying that the people will be mixed together. And here's what it says. I'm going to read it to you again. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, uh, uh, the, they, the seed of men shall mingle themselves and the assumption here is with themselves, but they shall not cleave one to another, neither is iron mixed with clay. That's why you're seeing in our last days here many religions and many cultures and many nationalities all mixed together, but they don't bond together. There's friction, there is strife, there's here and there, and yet we are a strong. Now think of America itself. 
America is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. We're a military, a strong nation. Yet we have strife and conflict and division in our, in our own, you know. Now there's a big strong push on what's called uh, socialism. Socialism. Well, when I was a boy, socialism was like bad news, you know. That was communism. That's what Russia was, you know, and everything. Now socialism is a big push in America that a lot of young people are wanting to push America toward. So there's this strife between conservatism and socialism and so forth. I'm not getting political here. I'm just telling you the way things are. So that when you see these conflicts and these strifes and these conflicts, they happen in Europe. They're happening in the Middle East. They're they're happening in Africa. They're happening over in China, not so much in China, but in some of the other Asian countries they are. So I'm pointing out to you here that all of these things are letting us know that there's going to be this conflict going on. So what I'm saying to you is that this is a biblical characteristic of the last days here. So are we seeing that today? Yes. And what does that mean to us? It's time for the Lord to come back. It's time for the wrap-up of all of these things. Praise the Lord. And that's what I'm pointing out to you here. We've talked about how that there's going to be in, in, in chapter 6 of Revelation, and I'll get back to that now, but there's going to be all kind of conflict. So there is going to be uh, just strife and wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be commotions, as Luke calls it, commotions, just demonstrations and stuff in the streets, and it'll go on and on and on. And what, what does that mean to us? That means you walk with God, you serve the Lord, you live for God, you keep on, keep on, keeping on. Praise the Lord. Serving God and loving God with all your heart. And folks, at a time when they think not, the trumpet will sound. That's why when you just say, well, it's just going to ho-hum, it's going to keep rocking along. No, no, no. In the middle of it all, when you think that it's not time for the Lord to come, all of a sudden the Lord will come. And the Lord is coming back for his people. And I won't go into the, uh, to the scriptures concerning the rapture. Most of you are, are very much aware of it. But uh, the Lord is coming back. Now, I'm going to turn over to the book of Revelation for a moment. And I'm going to just mention to you very quickly here, chapter 6, we talked about uh, the seven seals being broken. And the first one was a white horse. The second one was a red horse. The third one was a black horse. And the, excuse me, and the fourth one was a pale horse. And all these represented some kind of event that's, that came on the, wor- came on the earth. White horse was a false peace. Red horse was war. And then the black horse was famine. And then the pale horse was all manner of death that followed those others. And it says that when it finally gets to the end, it says by all of these was the one-fourth of the world population slain. So when you get down into the end of chapter 6, you have got, uh, you have got a fourth of the world population that's been killed. You are in the judgments uh, of God that's allowing these things to happen. And most of them, to begin with, will come by the way of man. And then if you look at verse 12, Behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. We talked about how there's going to be earthquakes and tidal waves and all kind of things that will begin to happen on the earth. Volcano eruptions, these things are all going to begin to happen. Verse 13 says, And the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree shaken the earth, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. We showed you several scriptures involving uh, where that 
these are mentioned over like over in Isaiah and so forth. And then we showed you newspaper clippings that support all of this, that all these things are coming. In other words, when the Bible predicts it and then scientists says, hey, they don't even, they don't even know what the Bible says. But they are saying, hey, such such a thing is, ha is happening. It's not hard to put it all together. And then finally he says down in verse 14, and the heavens departed as a scroll when it rolled together. This is 614 now. And every mountain island were moved out of their places. And then the kings of the earth, you know, or hide themselves and, and pray and ask for mercy and so forth. And it says in verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? And so the wrath of God is being poured out. Now, I want to go into verse 7. Everybody still with me? We're going to go in verse 7 here. And here's a very interesting, and this is uh, where uh, he talks here about some seals being broken and so forth. Look at verse 7, and we're still in the sixth seal here. And after these things, I saw a fourth angel standing. This is 7-1 now. Everybody with me? And we're not on this subject here now. We'll leave that for now. And uh, I want to get right into the part here about where this seventh chapter takes us. Look very closely here. I'll come back to my overhead in just a moment. Look at 7-1. After these things I saw the fourth angel standing on the four corners of the earth, beholding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on the, any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Now, everybody notice that, the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice of the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So those other angels, that's why they were holding it back. It was going to bring forth hurt on the earth, saying, hurt not the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there, and they, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand. Now, before I go any further, let's just stop there. And if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, write in there, not Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. And I've shown this to more Jehovah's Witnesses. I have had more discussions with those lovely people. Some of them are so sincere and, and, and sincere with God. And some of them are just looking for it. They're looking for a fight. And, and we usually try to give them one when they, get, when they look for it. You know, they have some weird beliefs. They, they believe in a doctrine called Arianism. Arianism is an old doctrine that was sort of squelched in 325 AD when they introduced the Trinity, the Trinity doctrine. The Trinity doctrine squelched Arianism. Arianism is the belief that there is one God and that Jesus Christ is not God. They believe he is an angel or a, cre a creation of God. The Jehovah Witnesses actually believe this, and you can ask them, and they'll stutter and stammer around, but finally they'll admit that it's true. They believe that Jesus was, is Michael the Archangel. That's who they believe Jesus is. That's why they're Jehovah's Witnesses, not Jesus' Witnesses. I was in Washington, D.C., not here a few couple years ago, and uh, it was on a Sunday, and I was down looking at the Capitol, and there's a guy down there, Jehovah Witness, witnessing. And he said, I'm Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, I'm glad to meet you. I'm a Jesus Witness. I witness for Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Father, Son, the Holy. He's everything. Praise the Lord. So we had a little discussion. Finally, he said, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so, so I said, all right. So he wanted somebody else. He could probably convert, you know, or he could win over. 
But uh, I'm just telling you this, that these 144,000 are not Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, I'm going to tell you who they are. The Bible tells it. And when, if you ever get this argument from a Jehovah Witness, you know, you know, you got to be at 144,000 to go to heaven. Everybody else is going to be on the new earth. That's the way they believe. And here's what it says. Here. I'm going to read this fourth verse to you again. I heard the number of them that were sealed. This is 7-4. <clears throat> and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. That's not Jehovah Witnesses of Israel. Now, you say, oh, well, that's just a statement that's blanketed me. No, no, no. It spells it out in the next uh, four verses. And I'm going to just look like, for instance, five. Of the tribe of Judah, there were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, there were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, there were sealed 12,000. And these are all the sons of Jacob, and these were all the 12 tribes of Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 in each tribe, makes 144,000. Uh, it goes on to say right on down, uh, look at seven of the tribe of Simeon was seed of 12,000, the tribe of Levi. And I won't read all of this, but right on down to the very end of verse 8, it's talking about these, these 12 tribes and that 12 tri 12,000 are sealed out of each tribe. So the 144,000 that are mentioned here are Jews. They're Jews. They're not uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'm just saying that just to put everybody at ease here. And somebody says, oh, you gotta, you know, you gotta be this, and that's belongs to the, no, no, no. That's, uh, that's just, and then if you really get, if you really say what the Bible says, the Bible says, oh, said, oh, you got that old King James version. We don't believe in the King. I said, yeah, you got a Bible that was, that was, uh, that was uh, interpreted or whatever you want to call it. They call it translated, but it's interpreted. You got a Bible interpreted by the Jehovah Witnesses themselves. In other words, they couldn't find a Bible that agreed with them, so they made their own Bible. I won't go any further. Okay, some of you people were Jehovah Witnesses. God bless you. Thank God. God bless you for being in the truth. Everybody say praise the Lord. <laughs> All right, I don't, pick, I don't like to pick on anyone in religion. But anyhow, you, I just want you to know that as we go on here. So then it goes on to talk about here. Now, why does God seal these 144,000 in here? Why does he do that? He does that in this seventh chapter because he's getting Israel ready for restoration. And that's the whole key point. <clears throat> that's what Daniel's image was all about. When you get to the end of it, you're coming to the end, coming to the end of what's called the time of the Gentiles. And so God is going to revive his people and, and so forth. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles very quickly here over to uh, chapter 10 very quickly with me. We're in chapter 7. It goes on to talk about <clears throat> the judgments of God upon the Gentile world and so forth. But look at verse 7 in chapter 10. I'm just saving time by skipping some of the other events that happened that has to do with the judgments of God upon the Gentile world. Uh, look over in chapter, verse 7 of chapter 10. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. <coughs> the mystery of God should be finished. And so he's going to fix and sound the trumpet. What is the mystery of God? What, what are we talking about here? What is the mystery of God? All right, everybody buckle your seatbelts. You with me? Stay with me. Give me your, uh, your undivided attention here. I want you to go with me, if you would, over here to the book of Ecclesiastes, of, uh, of uh, let's see, let me find it, okay. Over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians. 
And I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm going to show you what the mystery of God is. And it's mentioned here in Revelation that the mystery of God should be finished. <coughs> and I'm going to show you what's finished. Then I'm going to show you more scriptures to, to substantiate it. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now he's reminding those Ephesians, I'm writing to you Gentiles, what I'm telling you is for your benefit and for you. Of course, he goes on to say after a while, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. That's why I have the authority to say what I do to you Gentiles. And then he says in verse 2, if you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. In other words, God has given it to me to share with you. And this is that the Gentiles, you know, can receive the gospel. Verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. The mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. We're talking about this mystery now, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now here's what it is. Verse six is it. If you've got a, your Bible and a pen, put a ring around his verse. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That is that we are joint heirs with Christ. Other, another verse says that we are joint heirs with the Jews. We are joint heirs with Christ. Just as the Jews are heirs to God's many blessings and goodness and salvation through Jesus Christ, so likewise, we are joint heirs with them. Everybody with me on that? So that today, folks, anybody can be saved. This is the dispensation of grace. And this is what Paul was, and, we, and they didn't know when they started preaching how long it would be. Nobody has ever known how long it would be. That's why Jesus said nobody, not even the angels of heaven, knows how long it's going to be because nobody knows when the Lord's coming back. So it just rocks along. Anybody can be saved. And the Lord said, I'll have a people out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Every tribe, every, all over the world, God's going to have a people. And these are Gentiles. So God said, I'm going to have a Gentile church, including the Jews. That early church, to begin with, was all Jews in Jerusalem. They were all Jews until Cornelius and his household and so forth. So what we're pointing out to you here is that this was the mystery that the Jews never understood, that those Gentiles were going to have the same rewards that they had, the same grace that they had, and the same, uh, shall I say, right to salvation as they had, and it's through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. You see, everything we have is through Jesus Christ. Everything is through Jesus Christ. That's why you won't find religion or salvation or eternal life under Buddha, you know what I'm saying? You're not going to find it under, under uh, you know, I don't know, I can name a whole bunch. Shintoism and Taoism and all the other religions of the world. You're not going to find religion that it's got to be through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And Jesus Christ, of course, is our hope. That's why the Bible talks about basically, first and foremost, we have to believe in him. I'm still here in Ephesians chapter 3, and it says here that we should be... Uh, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That's verse 6. Verse 9 says, And to all men, for them to see what is the fellowship of the ministry, of the mystery, the fellowship, <clears throat> which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So, all things, praise the Lord, were hidden. These things were all hidden from, the, from, from mankind that they did not know until the Lord revealed it through his apostles and apostles. That's New Testament. And that would be, of course, the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm going to move on a little further here because I want you to, to uh, see also here over here in Romans uh, chapter 11 and verse 25. Now, here's what he says about the mystery. And here's what he says about the, the length of time it would be. Everybody with me on that? How long is this going to be that people can be saved from all walks of life? All walks of life. That's why, folks, don't ever rule out anybody. Don't ever rule out anybody. I've seen Hell's Angels guys come into church, mean-ass snakes tattooed all over their body, and get saved and become preachers of the gospel. I've seen it happen. I've seen guys come off of the, the slums of New Orleans, drunks, and get saved and filled with the gospel, become preachers and preach the gospel all the days of their lives. God can save anybody. Amen. Say praise the Lord. That's right. Amen. He can save any of us from anything, from any, anywhere. Amen. But this is the day of salvation. But the day will come that will end. And this is what I'm talking to you about so that we don't while away the time. Like I was telling that young man last night, you know, you got to get in, you got to get right now. You can't just play around with God. You got to say it's time. Now I'm going to read this verse of scripture to you here. <coughs> in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So Israel as a nation is going to be blinded. There will be individual Jews that can be saved. I think we have some in our church here that are the Jews that are in this church. I know we do. That are filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. You know, I know that. And we've had others in here that have come our way that were Jews and so forth. Jews can be saved just like Gentiles. But as a nation, as a nation, Israel has rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And so this is what he's talking about here. It says, until, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. In verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. That is, as a nation, they're going to be saved. And I'll talk to you that toward the end of our Bible lesson a little bit here in a few minutes. But right now, praise the Lord, uh, Israel's blinded until this fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Uh, I'm going to read another verse to you here found in, uh, in Luke, uh, Luke, 20, uh, Luke 21, 24. Many of you are familiar with this. This is where Luke talks about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Jesus, Jesus prophesied about it and Luke wrote about it. And this is what Jesus said here in this 21st chapter of Luke. He talks about how that uh, the armies would surround the city and the desolation would come upon Jerusalem and so forth. And finally, he speaks about the last, look at the last, the end of 23rd. Read that, look at that 30, 23rd verse. I know you got 24 there. And it says at the very end, it says here, uh, great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, speaking of Israel. Now look at verse 24 then. And it goes on to say here, 
and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, that's the Jews, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and they were, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, and it has been, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, which is the completion of the mystery. So that time is going to come in which that will be a time of the Gentiles, and that's what uh, this image here that Daniel saw and God showed him and then he showed Nebuchadnezzar real quick here on the feet and that this image that when you come down to the toes there's going to be you know clay and mixed oil but this is going to be the end of it and what Daniel saw in the next part of this vision was a stone was cut out of the mountain and came down and hit this image on the feet so it happens in the last days, but it shatters everything here, clearly to the top. Everything is destroyed. And there is no more Gentile power or powers left on the earth. And then the Lord will rule and reign. And, it's, and of course, that's in reference to Armageddon and the Lord coming back, you know, great power and so forth. Now, look at, uh, you're in Luke here. I want you to go with me one other verse uh, where it talks about the time of the Gentiles being over with. I want you to go with me, if you would, to Revelation. I, uh, back to Revelation again. Go to Revelation chapter 11. I got you going all over the place here today. Everybody still with me, though? All right. As I mentioned a while ago about uh, 10-7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished, as you have declared, the mystery of God should be finished. That is, the time of the Gentiles should be over with. Now look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now you're in Revelation now. God is sending judgment upon the Gentile world. But there's one other thing he's going to do here. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood rising, saying, Measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. If you've got your Bibles right in there, no more Gentiles saved. After, verse, after chapter 11, verse 1, no more Gentiles are saved. And it says here, for it is given to the Gentiles. And this is using that temple and actually borrowing, I wouldn't say borrowing it, but it, it ties in with Ezekiel where Ezekiel measures the temple and so forth. And, and, and I won't get into all the detail there but it has reference uh, in a way to that as well. And it goes on to say here, uh, <clears throat> it's to give it unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 in two months. That's three and a half years, three and a half years. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall, pro they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Now here's the irony of it all. 40 in two months is three and a half years. 1,203 score days is three and a half years. If any of you want to figure that up, it's, it's real simple mathematics. Okay, but you're talking about uh, three and a half year periods here. So these witnesses are going to come back. So God's going to send his witnesses back on the earth. Let me show you a map here, real, I mean a chart real quick. This is the chart that we use, and I'm watching the clock up there real close. I won't, I'll get it all in before our time is gone. Uh, this is the chart of the overview of the book of Revelation here. And this starts over here, the rapture taking place where my pen is over here. And it moves across here. These are all kinds of judgments. You can't read this. I'm aware of it. 
And these are Gentile judgments here. And then I have a chart here like this that is the first part of this big chart. And it looks like this. I just have it blown up. And uh, these are all the different events. And you'll find this in chapters 4, 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. And then chapter 11, no more Gentiles saved right here in this red at the end over here. You can barely, you can't see this. But anyhow, it's uh, no more Gentiles saved. And then we go into chapter 11, which is the next part of this other chart. Notice here these trumpets are being sounded here. Uh, so we go into this part right here, which is this part. And uh, this refers to an air, a time that's called Daniel's 70th week, which is found in Daniel chapter 9. I won't go into detail on that. But we talk about those three and a half years and second three and a half years. In that first three and a half year period, those witnesses will witness to the Gentile, to the Jewish world that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. That's what they're going to witness. Now, you're in chapter 11 of Revelation. Let me make sure you can see this. One of these days, we're going we're gonna to get First Pentecostal Church to break down and get us a good overhead there where we can handle these lights up here. <laughs> All right. Everybody with the Revelation chapter 11? Are you still with me? Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, these are the two witnesses. I'm going to read verse 3 again. Then I'm going to jump down and save time here. Identify some of them here. Verse 3, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. I've had all kinds of people to tell me who these people are. I had a guy show up at our old church down on Palm Bay Road one time, his bathrobe and flip-flops. And he said he was, uh, he was Elijah. And uh, he was, you know, he wanted some money, you know, <laughs> a little helping hand. <laughs> I told him I couldn't help him, didn't have any and everything. Uh, Anyhow, he said he was Elijah. I said, I'm doubting Thomas. I shook his hand, you know. I just, I've told you that before and everything. But I'm just pointing out to you here that a lot of people have done that. I had one guy tell me one time that he and his mother would be the two witnesses. He, he, you know, he's trying to convince me they would not be more than Elijah. Some people believe they're, Enoch, they're, they're Elijah and Enoch. Enoch was translated like Elijah was. He was caught up. He was not, but the Lord took him. But Enoch was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. These would be Jews. Now, I'm going to show you how you can know they were they're Moses and Elijah. Number one, of course, these were the two that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured in, among uh, Peter, James, and John. Remember those scriptures? And, uh, and there was uh, Elijah and Moses was on each side of him, and they stood there with him. Peter got all excited and said, Lord, let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's one thing. Yeah, it's right here in the scriptures. So look here in 11.6. Look in 11.6. These have power to shut the heavens that it rain not in the days of their prophets. That's Elijah. No one ever questions Elijah because in the last two verses, I think, in three verses in the Old Testament, this is Malachi, the very last couple of verses, it says Elijah, Elijah will come back. It says that. But a lot of them question whether it's Moses or not because Moses died. And it says here in verse 6, these have power to shut the heavens that it rain not on the, in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood like Moses did and to smite the earth with all plagues as Moses did. This is in the days when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt as often as they will. So this sort of identifies them. Now here's what will happen 
verse 7, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. Now their testimony shall be Jesus Christ was your Messiah, you Jews. This is going to be a Moses and Elijah. They'll be able to convince Jews all over the world for three and a half years, wherever they minister, in Israel and other places. They'll be able to convince Jews, we're Moses and Elijah. And, and believe me, folks, the Jews will listen to Moses and Elijah. That's their two greatest prophets, and you well know that. And whenever they said, that we are Moses and Elijah and so forth, and Jesus was your Messiah, and you, and you crucified him. He came, and he came your way, and you never, you, never, uh, you, you never understood that as a nation, that is, as a nation, not individuals, you know that. But as a nation, they never understood that. Now, I'm going to give you a scripture in, in prophecy here where it talks about it. I want you to go over to Zechariah, man, in chapter 12. I'm going to show you where this will happen, Zechariah 12. This is prophesied in the Old Testament. <clears throat> And, uh, of course, eventually all the nation will come against Jerusalem and uh, try to annihilate it. That's what Iran is starting to, starting to sort of blow hot air about right now. You know, they want to annihilate Israel. And uh, eventually they'll get enough people on the bandwagon against Israel that they'll try to do that. Look at verse 9 here. This is 12.9 of Zechariah. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I won't go into detail on that, in detail on, into details on that because that's a Bible study in itself. But look at verse 10. Everybody with me? And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And then from verse 11 to 414, it goes on to say how that every, all tribes, it says, in that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as in the days of Hadadramam in the, in the valley of Megiddo. And then it, that's referring to an event that happened way back there. And then it says that ever have the house of David apart, the house of Nathan apart, and the house of Levi apart, verse 13, and their wives apart, and the families and everything about how everybody will go by themselves and will get down on their faces and they will pray and they will say, God, forgive us. But we never knew that Jesus Christ who came was our Messiah. Please forgive us. And they, God will give them the spirit of grace. Now, I got just a few minutes here. Let me talk to you for a second, folks. God has given us Gentiles the spirit of grace. If you walk with God and you serve the Lord, you have the spirit of grace. We're saved by grace and that through faith. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. What does that mean, Brother Myers? That means it is the grace of God that saves us, but it is us believing in it. In other words, Jesus died on Calvary. You understand what I'm saying? That's the grace of God. Uh, Jesus Christ shed his blood. That's the grace of God. God came down and became a man and it wasn't God, the spirit that died. It was the flesh that died on Calvary. The man Christ Jesus died. He is, he is the sacrifice, the man Christ Jesus. And so Jesus died on Calvary. He, he gave that, all of that for us that we might be saved. He has given us the ministry to tell us what to do, what not to do, to how to break the bread of life for us. You know, 
He has given us his word. Amen. He has given us his spirit. All of this is the grace of God. And it's given to us for us to be saved because the Lord wants you to be saved. There's no one in here this morning that God does not want you to be saved. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to be in the rapture when he comes, when he sounds the trumpet. And if you're, not, if you're in here this morning and you're not saved, you need to be baptized and you need to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name because the, the application of the blood is in the name of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that our sins are washed away, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. It doesn't, it isn't washed away with water, but it's washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood covers everything. I don't care what you have done. I don't care how bad you have been. You know, I've known of missionaries telling us of witch doctors in, in, uh, in, in Africa and other, other places, South America, where that these people that were all wrapped up in voodooism got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and praise the Lord, and God covered everything is under the blood. And I'm trying to tell you here today that anybody can be saved, and you don't have to leave here today without your salvation. Praise the Lord. When you walk out that door, you can know that if Jesus comes back, you're ready to meet him. So I'm just trying to say here, today is the day of salvation. The Lord has given us that. And it's all through, praise the Lord, this wonderful uh, thing we call the grace of God. So you, we Gentiles have the grace of God, but we have to have faith for that grace to be applied. Praise the Lord. The, uh, the blood of, the, when they went out of Egypt, they had to apply the blood of, of, the, of the lamb, you know, on the, on the doorpost of the house and across the lintel and so forth. Now, they slew, the, they slew the lamb. The lamb was slain. The blood was there. But if they had not applied it, it would not have worked. You understand what I'm saying? The application was their efforts, praise the Lord, to do what the Lord required. Your effort and my effort, praise the Lord, to, to express our faith is to repent of our sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Without his spirit, we are none of his. If that spirit that was in Christ dwell in us, it shall also quicken our mortal body. So we need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It'll help you to live for God, walk with God, serve the Lord. It'll help you to love the Lord and love the things that are right, hate the things that are not right. That's what the Spirit of God does for us, with us. Praise the Lord. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll do things in us that nothing else can do. Praise the Lord. We can't even really live for God as we should live without His Spirit in us to help us. It's His Spirit, folks. Who would not want that Spirit? God is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is the Spirit of God. There's by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. There isn't two spirits or three spirits, one Spirit. God is a Spirit, not spirits. Praise the Lord. Everybody still with me? Yeah, I'm on a roll here. I'm just trying to tell you here that, but that Spirit in us will help us, praise the Lord, to, to walk with God and to serve the Lord. And so today I encourage everybody here to get ready to meet the Lord because the day will come in which no more Gentiles can be saved of all be about Israel. And next week I'm going to talk to you about some wonderful things I've got coming up that you don't want to miss. So I ask you to be with us next week. Let's all stand together. Let's give praise to God. Let's thank him for his goodness, his grace, his mercy, and his kindness to us all here this morning. Amen. God bless you. You've been a good audience. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Bless this audience today. Bless every individual here, Lord, this morning. Keep us in the palm of your hand, Lord. Bless our morning service. Bless the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.